Hello and welcome to this episode of the Venus and Vesta Evolutionary Astrology Podcast. I want to talk about Eris today and um, I really wanted to add her into the September stars because she does feature, we've got a long standing aspect with Eris and the North Node and I wanted to go into more depth about that but there wasn't really enough room in the monthly stars because there was a lot of good things going on in September, lots of green shoots as I called the whole month. Um, so I, I absolutely love the asteroids and I like the way that they have stories that it's not just one dimensional, that you actually, the more you look into them, the more you can discover. And whatever planet or whatever they're doing, whatever they are aspecting in the sky is the character of which of whatever part of that story is going to come out. So they're quite complex. And um, I like really like delving into the whole narrative that goes on behind them. And very often, or mostly, these asteroids are females and they're bringing to life the much more, um, maybe domestic some of it, but the emotional aspects of life, um, feminine stories. And I feel that you, when you get to know them, you really can connect them and see where the patterns are happening in your own life. Um, and perhaps with all the different aspects, what what part of the narrative is going to come out? Uh, and of course, there's going to be different elements of the story, but they're going to be ignited by whatever aspect is in the sky or whatever planet is hitting on transiting Eris, who's in Aries right now. And um, Eris is now for the whole of September is going to be meeting and conjunct at 25 degrees, the North Node, the destiny point. So that's the whole of September. So uh, from to the 18th of September, Eris and the North Node are conjunct at 25 degrees uh, Aries. And then Eris moves to 24 degrees, but only that's the North Node then is at 25 degrees and uh, three arc minutes. So it's hardly, they're, no, they're still not apart. Um, but then on the 27th of September, the North Node rejoins Eris at 24 degrees Aries again. So they're, they're either at 25 degrees or 24 degrees. And now Eris and the North Node from the 18th of September onwards stay at 24 degrees Aries until the 30th of November. That's three months. You know, Eris and North Node, three months together, 24 and 25 degrees Aries. What have you got that's going to be either on that spot or is it going to be trying? So 24, 25 degrees Leo or um, Aries. I'm sorry, no, is that going to be 24, 25 degrees Leo or Sagittarius, the other fire signs? Or in a square to Eris and the North Node, where that might be at 24, 25 degrees Cancer or um, Capricorn. Let's see where obviously where Pluto has been sitting in recent years. But anyway, that's three months of quite an intense aspect and an intensity brought to the North Node, which is our destiny point. 
And of course, the North Node moves much faster than Aries. And, you know, we shall sometimes quiver on a spot, go backwards and forwards by a few degrees, but, but not a lot. So it's a long time for Aries to be on one spot. So that's going to be one spot there, one month at 25 degrees Aries, and then two months at 24 degrees Aries. And I kind of like that kind of um, intensity. And I think we need to take a look at it. Because, of course, this long standing pairing is really getting ready for when the north node moves on. And she does start to move away from the uh, in December, but she moves on and then meets with Chiron in February, right for Valentine's Day. And that's going to be like the deep dive into, you know, we as mankind and our healing do you know how are we going to heal ourselves what is the healing that we need to to happen right now with chiron and of course aries is the self the man what are we taking responsibility for in our healing have we given it all away to the authorities to the big medical establishments and to um big pharma where can we really take that back is a question that i ask especially since aries is the person asking the question but also then Aries is also the masculine and what sort of healing is going to come about with the masculine and for the masculine. So those are two things that could be happening from February onwards. But really, we're coming back to now when the asteroid, uh, sorry, when Aries is sitting with the North Node and therefore those questions, Aries is bound to be asking the questions. So if Aries was the one that started her question, just her question started the Trojan War and then she meets the North Node, our destiny point, pointing towards our future. Certainly then we are perhaps heading to some kind of war of some type. I mean, that's if you think we're not already in one. Uh, good for you if, you know, if you're not, not thinking, you quite happily realising that we're not. Um, but maybe this current war has been highlighted or maybe it's another one. So if the North Node is meeting Aries for a very long time at the, you know, this destiny point. So the destiny point is going to throw whatever it touches forward and open those doors to what comes next and what needs to happen next. Uh, and this is after the Aries question. It's just a question in these days of censorship. Uh, and then this person, then this thing then goes on to meet Chiron. This doorway then is onto the doorway of healing. So even if this war or or question gets lit up, we then have to heal it. It then comes around to heal. So as much as we might be in for a period of really hardcore kind of um, doors being flung open and real analysis of what is going on and real sort of a study on, on the worst parts of humanity there is going to be healing at the end there in the long run it does get better but not until february um but right now yeah the north node in eris for this three month period is probably going to be quite challenging so we all know about the north node it is our destiny point and it is the doorway to our future and in the natal chart it's like this is your mission in life, should you choose to accept it. Now, of course, not everyone does choose to accept it. 
a person who has planets around or angles around the south node and nothing up at the north node will find it harder to activate this mission. Uh, you know, the mission will just appear and disappear. This mission, this message will disappear as directly after you've read it. And maybe they won't even get to see that. But anyway, um, but maybe their life then is about replaying and finishing off past issues and having to go backwards. Um, not everyone wants to go backwards, but sometimes that's going to that is going to happen. But before we're allowed to move on. And so the North Node, obviously, is just a point in the sky. I say just, it is actually a very important point in the sky. It's where the moon on its path around the world, around the, around the world, around Earth goes up and down like at an angle. And where it crosses the elliptic and the elliptic is the horizontal plane of the Earth moving around the sun. So when the moon goes up and down across this path, this is where when it comes up, it's the north node and where it goes down is the south node. So this is this like a point in space and like I say, a very important point in space. And you kind of think, well, why just that point? And that is because when the moon is full or the moon is new, i.e. the earth and the moon are opposite each other or the earth and the moon are together, and they line up and they're very conjunct or close, 10 degrees, 15 degrees of the north node or the south node, it creates an eclipse. And of course, an eclipse is like a pressure valve. And when it happens, it's like bringing out some new ideas, unimaginable themes and features and forces and beings that come through uh, light beings, dark beings, all those kind of karmic soup that comes into play during an eclipse. So, um, yeah, so this north node and south node, they've already got this kind of karmic feel, field that forces things into action. It forces that doorway open, even we you know whether you like it or not. Here it comes. So you see how the, the north node is like a karmic point. Uh, and it's like a portal to another dimension, really a dimension, maybe the future dimension that we haven't really kind of got to grips with. And it's and it's all coming very new towards us. So now we know what the um, North Node is. We kind of got that idea more kind of a light in our in our minds. What about Eris? Who is she? And some of you may be familiar with her. And also I have told her story before because I do love it. Uh, but the key thing about Eris here, that, well, any part of her story, as I said before, could be ignited by a planet or an angle connecting with her in a certain way that kind of highlights another part of her whole narrative. But really here, we know, the first thing we know about her is that her audacity, um, that was just a question, uh, started the Trojan War. So we know that by asking the right questions now, are we going to be, is it going to be fairly explosive? It's like us saying at the moment, you know, what is a woman? <laughs> and suddenly, you know, you get the whole war starting about that. Or as this is Aries, maybe we should be asking, what is a man? And maybe that will come up as a debatable point too. Um, or maybe we say, show me the data, show me the Show me the scientific evidence on air pollution that has caused everyone to pay to go into a zone in, in London. Um, 
or maybe we say, where are are the missing children, you know, the 2,000 children that didn't turn up for school in Maui? Um, Or we say, where, where or why does Pfizer need their studies sealed for 75 years? You know, we haven't got answers to any of these. Um, and that, that one's an old one anyway, but there's so more. I've just been listening to, you know, is it a coincidence, you know, about Rachel Chandler, Balenciaga, Epstein, Marina Abravamovich, I can't even say it, and um, the Brothmans. So lots of questions being asked that, that connect and tie people and people. We, we just don't have the answers to so many questions that I think Eris is kind of duty bound now with the North Node to go right. If we did get an answer to couple of those questions, I think humanity would be on a different track entirely. So that's that's where I feel Eris's action here with the North Node could play out. I'm so I'm totally here for the questioning. And uh, so we've got three months of this, uh, just three months of possible questions and the scrapping around like the goddesses to answer them. Um, that could propel mankind, mankind being Aries, forward and open the door to so many Aries themes that perhaps might need answering or or questions asked around them and therefore going into things like mental health. Um, and of course, mental health is emotional health, is spiritual health, but because Chiron has moved into Aries, we're now talking about mental health in the last few years. We could have questions about masculinity and definitely that's already on on the table anyway. And we could have questions about war. And of course, we're having war, but the questions are not being answered. And because also because of Aries, Aries is the first sign. It's the baby of the universe. We could have questions about birth and therefore in that idea of birth to be or not to be. Are we are we in the sense of abortion? Uh, abortion rights or is it in the sense of our soul incarnating here and what are we doing are we uh, what what is happening to us so that it our souls are not incarnating properly and maybe switching off our pineal glands those kind of questions I'm, I'm up for all of these debates FYI if anyone wants to get in touch so to add to this, um, these ideas that could possibly come around, which will definitely come around, um, I got you got to think about Eris because we have got enough time. I feel that you know, with the women, a woman of antiquity who a has enough chutzpah to turn up at a wedding, the wedding of the decade on her own. That's like turning up at Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's wedding uninvited and you know shock or someone that's like she wasn't invited I mean security wouldn't let you in would they and you wouldn't get very far and I wonder if there was anyone that did try that one on but you know if you were a well-known person and you decided to turn up at a wedding you weren't invited to that'd be shock horror but anyway she had the one so this is Eris she's got the chutzpah to do that and two she has the audacity or the or the the wisdom and the wisdom to ask the crucial question that basically has the wedding crowd and the goddesses like all faffing around trying to answer it um and really that question you know to the fairest who is the fairest really kind of has an awareness of her her 
question being right at the heart of the inequality and the ridiculousness of society. Because there she has three goddesses, amazing, a goddess, like not, not just a normal mortal, a goddess, all kind of vying for to be the one. I mean, it's just showing you how shallow that is. And she obviously knows that. That's why it's so ridiculous. And of course, even the gods didn't want to answer that question. They nominated Paris, some tradesman, herbs, herb, herdsman, to be chosen, you know, to 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 do the debate because he once chose a really, you know, had a really good decision on a prize ball at a fair. So anyway, so here's Paris. Um, I mean, Eris must have been laughing quite hard to see them all scrapping around trying to win this uh, and avoid the, and, you know, some the men trying to avoid the question. So, you know, there is the idea that the same inequality and ridiculousness that was the shock horror element of her being invited to the wedding is the shame, shock horror, inequality and ridiculousness that has them all scrapping around. So that's why I think, you know, she threw it right back to them. And we don't get to discuss, you know, so far, antiquity keeps her in that shock horror box. But now we've got to bring her out and go, yeah, you know, she really knew what she was doing. And I reckon she had quite a laugh about it afterwards. I bet. But although having said that, I bet she was amazed at how well it completely combusted and I, and I hope she was having a good laugh for herself. But anyway, on this conjunction, are we going to be Eris who asks the question that highlights the absurdity and the ridiculousness and the shallowness, all highlighting the vanity and the low level desires um, in in society? Are we going to be asking that question? And, and if we're the one that's brave enough to ask that question, does that then mean we are the one then that isn't invited to the wedding? Perhaps we're the outcast and we're going, well, I'm outcast for this reason. And then I'm going to ask the question then that really is going to highlight your ridiculousness of me being outcast, for instance. So that's the double-edged swords of going, oh, yeah, I'm going to be Eris. I'm going to ask all the difficult questions and say, well, then you're on the outside, really. And you're the one doing the shock horror, which then I guess quite a few of us are feeling perhaps so many people are feeling perhaps they are on the outside of society. And perhaps this is our chance to get all those questions answered that highlight to everyone else how ridiculous this the whole setup actually is. And, and therefore, how ridiculous your own banishment is. Because really, she was banished. She wasn't allowed to be at the wedding. It wasn't just an NFI. It was a, it was a how dare you come kind of thing. So, yeah, that banishment is um, perhaps where we are internally. We are banished for ourselves or we banish ourselves from certain sets in society. Um. So if we're not going to be a person answering the question and the person being banished, are we going to be the one that gets to answer the question? Are we going to be the one that answers? And um, is the question already sitting in your heart? And is it about to trigger a whole swathe of emotions that you're then going to have to consider? Are you going to be saying, well, 
that person's a complete outcast and she's asked this question and I've got to ask, ask. And and maybe that's going to bring out um, some of your shadow. So either side of that, there is an idea behind that, that you will then, this will push your forward into your future self or your um, your life should move forward. But anyway, then also on the global level, of course, questions can be asked, asked about lockdowns, masks, second lockdowns, third lockdowns, medical interventions, censorship, rigged voting, fake scientific data or hidden or not even carried out, fake claims, bioweapon labs, BlackRock, Epstein, Hunter Biden, Pizzagate, face-off, bank payoffs, cyber money. You know, there's, you know, this, how long have we got of so many unanswered questions? And this feels very much like the chaos that we're in, that was the end, near end of the Roman Empire, that which was called the crisis of the third century, which was a huge economic collapse and near ruin. I think it lasted for about three decades, but for around um, year 33. Um, and of course, that was Rome's first Pluto return. And this is Rome is the only country or empire, should we call it, to survive past their first natal Pluto natal return. <clears throat> um, but they collapsed at the second Pluto return. So here it is in America having their second Pluto return. We're right in the middle of oh, sorry, first Pluto return. We're right in the middle of it now because Pluto is getting closer to that 27th degree where um, 27 degrees, 33 arc minutes in America's natal chart. And we're just getting to 27 degrees on the 19th of September. So maybe this is the chaos that's been brought about that um, we've definitely got to answer. Um, so going back to Eris, I am quite fascinated about how she became well known as an asteroid. Uh, because, you know, even before you, um, if you use astro.com, she is one of the first asteroids or she's already in the imprint there for your for you to look at and see. But we don't often talk about her as in terms of the effect that she will have in our lives. We often talk about her story and her story is so well known as one of the Greek myths, but we don't actually equate it back to our lives. And that's what I'm trying to do here. But also, so this Eris, she is also called Strife or the goddess of discord. But really, it's the apple that's the discord, the apple of discord. And there are so many apples featured in female stories, not least Adam and Eve. But um, apple or discord or strife. Eris did cause a lot of strife, but it was hardly a challenging question, was it? It wasn't exactly um, antagonistic and uh, shocking. So, but it still caused so much strife. And really that's where showing society and, and also the goddesses, you know, that they, they all got into completely fandangoed by it completely by this very innocent question or um, this golden apple. So as I say, Eris was is, is very much at the forefront of the asteroids that are available on astro.com, which so many of us use. Um, I, I definitely use as a as to look at all the charts. There's tons of charts stored in astro.com on two accounts. But anyway, 
Eris was only discovered in 2005. That's super recent for a discovery. Um, but even her discovery caused strife, innocently caused strife. Because when they found her, they thought that she was a planet. They thought she was bigger than Pluto. And um, then that, dis that, because she was bigger than Pluto, that set off the question of whether Pluto was a planet in itself. You know, can you imagine that suddenly, you know, this woman come turns up and Pluto, the lord of the underworld, is demoted? Um, that's quite some strife, I would say. And on her, so on her first, you know, first sight of Erist, you know, they thought she was a lot bigger. Um, but actually, Pluto is 27%, a third bigger. And she orbits way far, far beyond Pluto. And she's much colder out there. Whoa, so cold. And she's far more dense. And, you know, read that as intense. And she's much smaller. So she's she's smaller than Pluto. But her mass is 34% greater than Pluto. So she's definitely super intense. And that means sort of kind of really powerful. She is the ninth most massive object orbiting the sun. That's something. Uh, and she's the 16th most massive overall in our universe, including the moons. And also, you know, so, so she, you know, let's say she's significant. She, we can't just ignore her that, you know, that is that is a, a kind of a feature of a dwarf planet that we must take notice she is also three times the distance from the sun than Pluto is. I mean, wow, that's that's super far out. And I would say, though, that's in her furthest reaches. So she goes way, way out. And that's where it gets super cold um, as an understatement. And so she has an eccentric orbit. And so does Pluto, actually. But, you know, she goes way out, yet she sometimes comes way in as well and so she comes within the orbit of Pluto and that's similar to Pluto in a way because Pluto goes way out and then comes in a bit and he crosses in within the orbit of Neptune sometimes too but for Eris when she goes way out she is far out she's far she's kind of further than the Kuiper belt so the Kuiper Belt is 29 astronomical units AU from the sun, 29. And the Kuiper Belt is like a frozen disk. Um, wouldn't want to be around there, I have to say. And she's generally beyond that, just beyond it. And so that just beyond that part, it's called the scattered disk area. And, and so for comparison with the Kuiper Belt at 29 degree, 29 AU, Eris comes in as far as 38 AU, which would be just where the scattered disk area is. And she goes as far out as 95 AU. That's that's like phenomenal. And then Pluto varies between 30 AU. So just up to where the Kuiper belt is, or, but close enough. And 49 AU. So not as not as not as such a bigger um, difference between where it comes close and where it goes far out. So Eris has really got a very eccentric um, orbit. 
Um, and she goes, as I say, she goes far out in her tiny intensity. I'm quite impressed with her. And in this eccentric orbit, you imagine that seven, that Pluto is 17 degrees of the elliptical plane and Eris is 44 degrees of it. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. She's just going off on a side, really, like, you know, way off. And I feel like there with Pluto, Pluto, you know, we're supposed to know that Pluto is kind of slightly, um, you know, not joining into the mainstream. Um he, but he's so much closer to our known issues, whereas Eris, I think, is so far removed from these uh, worldly ideas that we in society can't cope with her, hence the banishment. And so she is sort of banished, um, I guess, from her far out and her non-committal idea to Earth that she can see, sit back and see what is going on. Um and I guess in that way, she's a bit like Lilith in her banishment. And talking of banishment, Eris um, and Pluto, they're very similar, um, ha both have a surface area comparable to Russia. I'm like, wow, to Russia. I think that's quite incredible to think of the land mass of Russia, which obviously is huge, but uh, compared that in a circle to become Eris is also quite phenomenal. So Eris was was discovered in 2005 and before she was named Eris, she was Xenia, Xenia warrior princess. And that, that she was called Xenia because, was it Xenia, that this occurred because they said they've discovered a new planet and they called it Planet X. And of course, the TV show was on at the time, Xenia, Warrior Princess. So she became Xenia, Warrior Princess, because it was the X of this Xenia and the X, Planet X. So I thought that was that was um, quite characteristic, I guess. And I have a funny story about that, because um, someone very well known within government used to have a poster of Xenia, Warrior Princess, behind his door, on on his door, um, in his office in London County Council. And um, that was years ago, years ago. And more recently, he saw, he saw me, he came to a party, and he thought I was her. <laughs> um, not actually uh, Xenia, dressed in leather and having a bow and arrow on my back but actually Lucy Lawless Lucy Lawless the actress obviously he thought I was her you can go and have a look if you've seen what I look like but anyway um apparently he was so overcome in meeting me aka Xenia that he had to go home he said I can't stay here and I've got to go home and probably have a lie down and I thought that was um that was hilarious I never really kind of connected with her and think oh, maybe I need to go and watch Xenia Warrior Princess but anyway, uh, maybe that was just an excuse to leave. I don't know, but it is quite funny. And, and I guess all well, you know is like he wanted to leave because Xenia was there. But it's very Eris shock horror at the wedding. And of course, then Eris is actually in my seventh house of relationship. I don't suppose anyone really wants Eris in their relationship house, but she's got to be like Pluto. She's got to be somewhere in your chart. And that's where um where Aries is. Now, continuing on the theme of, of, of Xenia Warrior Princess, Eris has a moon and uh, it's named after her daughter, Dysnomia. And Dysnomia means anarchy and lawlessness. 
And I was like, lawlessness, isn't that Lucy lawless? And I was like, oh my God, this is kind of, it's all too close to Xenia. And maybe she should be Xenia. Maybe it was Xenia. And she just went, sod it, I'm coming to this wedding. And then made them all look ridiculous. You can imagine her doing that. So, but anyway, um, the moon originally was called Gabrielle because they called the dwarf planet of um, of Eris, they called it um, Xenia. And so they called her moon Gabrielle. And Gabrielle, of course, is Xenia's side click in the TV show. So I think that's how far they took that at the time. And funnily enough, so I look back, you know, when planets like when Pluto arrived in 1930, we had the most horrendous kind of um, deprivation, poverty, um, global, global kind of um, almost like death and starvation going on for the 1930s when Pluto was discovered. So when a planet comes, you 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 want to see what was going on at the time. So um, Eris discovered 5th of January 2005, obviously super recent. And in 2005, I was definitely in the most a relationship with the most strife you can imagine. And it was showing up all my inadequacies. So for sure, um, you know, I think her discovery put her on the map, um, put it on the map for me as well. So I've totally understood where she is from that relationship. Now, if I tie it to the her, to her actual discovery. And at that point in 2005, Eris was at 19 degrees Aries. Um, and so that since that point, she's only moved six degrees. I mean, she does do retrograde and um, quite a bit. So she's and she is retrograde now. So she. Um, yeah, she's only moved six degrees from that discovery point. And that's how slow she is. So she is slow, but maybe, you know, running at the same speed. It takes her 557 years to orbit the sun. That's incredible. That's twice as long as Pluto. Pluto is 248 years to go around, hence why America is having its Pluto return now. Um, and so Eris has been in Aries since 1926. So almost everyone on this planet, my father included, um, but not the people who have got a little letter from the from the Queen to congratulate them on their 100th birthday. But nearly the majority of people on this planet have got Eris in Aries. And that's very much about Aries being mankind and our birth here. So this is the generation over the last 100 years has had the guts to ask the questions about why are we here potentially um, and and about the masculinity and about war and understanding war from a different angle. Aries doesn't leave Aries till uh, 2048. So that's 122 years in one sign. Um, so if you compute that she has a 557 year orbit and therefore 122 years in one sign is double the amount of time she's meant to be in in a sign. So we can surmise from that that she is way out in, you know, way out on her 95 astronomical units as far away as she possibly can be right now when she's in Aries. So. When she was discovered, the discovery chart on the 5th of January 2005 in California at the 
Palomar Observatory, Eris was at 19 degrees. And guess what? The North Node was right next to her, just like it is now, the exact same conjunction. Admittedly, a wider orbit on this conjunction. So the North Node was at 28 degrees Aries. And so that's this is the nodal return then. This is the nodal return for Aries. So this is an important time for her because she is now getting a second uplift. It was like, there's her entrance and now we're reigniting that entrance. And so I felt that it was quite phenomenal to be delving into this long-standing aspect and then see it was actually happening 18 years ago, um, the last time the North Node was to visit Eris in Aries and, and Aries itself. So I've been super pleased to discover that we've kind of got this same conjunction on her discovery map. And anyway, I also wanted to highlight another long-standing aspect this month, and that's with the asteroid Juno, um, a.k.a. the marriage broker. Now, the asteroid Juno has been featured heavily in the Venus retrograde, and now Venus is going direct Juno is right beside her all the way through this shadow zone. So there is Venus went direct on the 4th of September. Uh, Juno at that time was two degrees behind her at 10 degrees. Venus was at 12 degrees. And now they are spending the whole of September together. You know, Venus equated with love, with beauty, romance and money, and then Juno with marriage partnerships. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Right. So I feel like this is like another kind of portal that while we've got this chaotic kind of element for our future that, you know, yes, look, we've got to really be strident and ask the questions about our future. Here we are really having this kind of deep look at relationship within within the whole of September because we've got Venus here in Leo just walking along with Juno the marriage broker so I think this is a really you know there are green shoots happening in September and so this is really good for relationships that these two are getting together but remember this is Leo so as much as this is important for relationship, this is really important for the relationship with yourself. And that comes first because then all other relationships follow on, obviously. And, and Venus and Juno together do not really part until the day Venus leaves the shadow zone. And she leaves the shadow zone on the 7th of October at 28 degrees Leo. And it's at that point that Venus seemed to speed up a little bit ahead and Juno stays behind. So looking at this other long-standing for whole of September aspect, I wanted to see when Juno was discovered so I went down a little Eris rabbit hole and I then went down a little Juno rabbit hole. So I looked up, Juno was actually discovered in 1805 and she was one of the first asteroids to be discovered before they discovered that there was an actual asteroid belt. Because remember that the asteroids um, are part, are in line to a formation where each planet from the sun is twice as distant twice further on than the one before. And there's a gap between Mars and Jupiter. There isn't a planet where there should be. Um, 
And so the ast- and the asteroid belt is there. So they knew or they were expecting to find something there and um, uh, finding a planet there, but found the asteroids. And so the asteroids were firstly discovered. The first four asteroids were dis- were discovered between 1801 and 1808 in quite short succession. So they, first of all, they found Ceres, then Pallas Athena, then Juno in 1805 and then Vesta who we know and love from the Venus and Vesta. And she was, so Juno was discovered in 1805. But what amazed me whilst going completely geek, you know, down this um, about the planets and their asteroid was that Juno was in Leo when it was discovered. And also Juno is in Leo now and four degrees from where it is now. Juno was, is, was at 14 degrees Leo when she was discovered. And she's at 10 degrees now and and featured rather heavily. So it's like kind of going slightly dumbfounded that that both these asteroids that I'm looking into and are featured heavily in our uh, um, astrological month of September and October, actually, um, that they're both exactly where they were when they were discovered. So I found it's quite a phenomenon that we need to sit up and take notice of. So while I'm going down my little geeky discovery research and finding them both exactly in the positions they were discovered in and that I am now speaking about and I'd chosen to speak about them before I'd discovered that fact, I found it quite spooky. Um, But then these little synchronicities do happen um, as they do in astrology. And I do think we are far more and they highlight to me really that we are far more part of a big kind of global universal mathematical sacred geometry network or electromagnetic soup than we can we can even imagine and and it does make me feel that yeah i was meant to be doing this um so i follow certified health nut on instagram and i highly recommend him and he always calls his followers psycho chickens from cyberspace and i'm feeling that right now about this cosmic electromagnetic soup that we're all part of and all connected through and we are all beings of light that actually are kind of it's like chemical ethers and light technology that that kind of connects us all in this manifest world so i'm feeling it heavily and so i'm going to sign off there psycho chickens from cyberspace until next week thank you and goodbye